travel podcast news is the first ever travel podcast in India. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and keep yourself updated with the exclusive and exciting insights into the travel industry. Good morning, everybody, once again, and with the permission, uh, Mr. Khera, uh, Mr. Goyal, and Merasaf, with your permission, this like, can we start now? We like to take this off because we have limited time. Uh, good morning, everyone, and those who have already fifteen hundred of you have already signed in. It's a pleasure to see all of you and so many of you here today. Uh, I would like to make some housekeeping uh, announcements before uh, before we go ahead. Uh, if there's any problem you people find in your uh, so while uh, uh, going through the whole detail, just refresh your button and everything will be back again. This is technology, so keep refreshing your button to understand what's happening. The good part, which I'm going to share with you, is today is an opportunity for all of you to ask questions to none other than Mr. Shivkhera himself, the man himself. So for that, first hear him out, ask your questions. Your questions will only be you need to type your questions out on the right side of your screen, send it to us. And then we will ask those questions on your behalf. Of course, there's going to be a paucity of time, so every question will not be answered. We will try and see if we can answer questions uh, which are of collective nature. No personal nature uh, questions, please. No personal questions. And my request to all of you is no comments. We will not be taking any comments. We'll be asking Mr. Kera on your behalf if there are important questions. One special thing which I really would like to mention all of you, and that's a special request from all of us, including Mr. Shiv Kera, because this was his suggestions. We would like all of you to switch off your uh, off your phones, not put it on silent, but switch off, because I think that actually kills the concentration. Because sometimes it was with the message or, or or a phone ringing. So if you want to hear and understand, Mr. Shiv Kera very very clearly so my suggestion and request to all of you would be to switch off your mobiles uh, the other thing which i want to leave with you is that the recording of this will be available to all of you who would like to look at the recording that will be available on facebook from tomorrow evening uh, before i begin i want to uh, mention to you that uh, mr shiv kera has been magnanimous enough and has offered his what i call this is 11 cardinal rules of business success He's offering this complimentary to everyone who's on the webinar today. So please, you can download this from the website and the link of that will be shown on the screen towards the end of the webinar. I'm not sharing this with you now. You need to hear him out, understand he's been nice enough and generous enough to do that. So we should take that advantage. But hear us, hear him out first, and then I'll give you the link where you can download uh, his his uh, 11 cardinal rules of business uh, success. And in today's day and age, trust me, that's very, very important. Okay, without 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 wasting any more time, I would like to go on. But before I do that, I have a few points to say. And I, I would like to say namaste and welcome to everyone. One comment which I really would like to offer all of you, and I want all of you to understand that we are, that's my personal view, we are going through what I call is a world war today. When I say a world war, because every nation in the world is trying to protect is, is actually its citizens. How they're doing it? Because this pandemic has gone all over the world. And frankly speaking, how to deal with it? What is going to be? How long will this last? Nobody knows. 
it, no, none of us can actually go into the crystal ball and gaze and tell you that will that the vaccine will be out in so and so date or so and so thing will happen. It's all still all up in the air, but it's gone up for about six months and more. And what are we looking at today? Today we need answers. We need answers for ourselves. Forget the businesses. I know businesses worldwide is are suffering, but we need to look at answers and understand what we should be doing and where should we be leading to. For this particular reason, this is a remarkable initiative by IHO, Indian Association of Tour Operators, who have invited none other. In I would say, aided by Traftalk, they're all out to reach every one of you. They're reaching and coming to you and your homes and telling you to learn to understand and be careful about how the business will develop in the future. And for that particular purpose, they have invited a great person over here, Mr. Shiv Khera, who will tell us what we need to do. Now to introduce Mr. Shiv Khera, uh, I will request his very good friend, Mr. Subhash Goyal, who's here, who's going to say a few things. But before Mr. Subhash Goyal says something, I, I really want to uh, mention two things about Mr. Goyal. All of us who are sitting here are from the travel industry. And if any of you do not know Mr. Subhash Goyal, then I can only say that you're in the wrong industry or you're not in the travel industry. That's that's the way he is. And uh, a few things about him which you may not know. He is a graduate in BCom Honors from the famous college of Shriram College of Commerce. And he got the Hora first um, gold medal from there. Uh, then he went on to do his MBA. And he is a PhD doctor from Netherlands. And apart from that, he was the Delhi University Student Union, and he was the youngest president during his time. In the year 1973, he set up Stick Travels. Uh, he says humble beginnings with one table and one chair. That is what he did. But his hard work and his vision saw him to reach today, which has 40 offices, and he has over 300 professionals working for him. And he actually has about 10 airlines uh, who he represents. He represents three cruise companies and he has uh, three rent a car companies apart from his own charter, uh, air charter division and his own cargo divisions. Awards, uh, I don't have to tell you. I don't think there's an award Mr. Uh, uh, Goyal has not won. He has won enormous number of awards. And uh, I can safely say that he was declared the living legend by the India Travel Awards. Uh, he deserved that. Uh, and frankly, I can also like to mention that he's also on the uh, National Tourism Advisory Council for the Government of India, Ministry of Tourism. He's the secretary, all of you know, for FAITH. He's also the chair for FIO, ICCI on their tourism division. He's the past president of IHO. In fact, he was uh, unanimously elected once. I remember that. And more than anything else, he's also authored the book on poverty evaluate, uh, eradication and economic development through tourism. Can you believe that man's belief in tourism that he's writing books and saying tourism is your answer for everything possible? That's what Mr. Goyal is with us. Well, I can go on and on, but I don't want to. I want to stop myself here. And I would request him to introduce his good friend and none other than the man himself, Mr. Shiv Khera. Mr. Goyal, over to you now. Thank you very much. I think. Uh... A lot of us uh, know Mr. Shiv Khera, but I'll tell you, you see, this is the worst crisis we are all facing. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the way other countries have, uh, you know, helped, uh, somehow our government has not been able to give us the help that is needed for us to survive. 
which has resulted in a lot of depression and a lot of tension and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, people are losing jobs. Millions of jobs are going to be lost. So in this hour of crisis, we had an EC meeting and Mr. Parnav Sarkar, the president, Mr. Rajiv Mehra, Mr. Najib, and uh, our uh, skill development head, uh, Mr. Zia Siddiqui. We all put our heads together and we were thinking of finding a person anywhere on the planet, you know, who could really inspire us in this hour of crisis, who could really put life into us. And you know what Vivekanand said, with muscles of iron and nerves of steel, who could revive those? You see, we can revive the economy, we can revive our companies if we are revived. If we are not revived, then I think uh, nothing is going to happen. So we came unanimously to the conclusion that the best speaker, one of the world's best speaker is Mr. Shiv Khera. And fortunately, he is of Indian origin and he is in India. We are grateful to him. I told him when I rang him up, sir, we cannot afford, you know, uh, your, uh, I remember, you know, people, uh, you know, paying any amount to listen to him. In one show, I was saying that even a thousand dollar ticket was not available. So, friends, you see, uh, Shiv Khera is an educator, business consultant, and a sought after speaker. He inspires, encourages individuals to realize their full potential. He has taken his dynamic personal messages to all over the world, every nook and corner of the globe. From US to Singapore, his 40 years of research in understanding has put millions of people on the right path. He has really inspired a lot of people. And uh, I'm sure that he will inspire all of us today. Sir, friends, you'll know that 8 million copies of his books have been sold globally, including the international bestseller, You Can Win. And it has been translated in 21 languages. Mind you, see the amount of hunger people have to listen to Siv Khera. His clients include the world's biggest companies out of the Fortune 500 companies. Just to name a few, even uh, one of our air leading airlines, Lufthansa, HP, DHL, HSBC, Canon, Nestle, Philips, Mercedes, Johnson & Johnson, MetLife, and I can go on and on. The list is endless. You name the company which is successful and somewhere behind will either be Mr. Shiv Khera's book or one of his inspiring talks. Tens and thousands have benefited from the dynamic workshops internationally over 20 countries and 20 million people have heard him as a keynote speaker. He has appeared on numerous radio, television shows all over the world. Mr. Khera is the brand ambassador of Roundtable Foundation. He has been honored by various international organizations, just to name a few, Lawyers, Rotary, etc., etc. But today, I am proud that he's of Indian origin and he's the brand ambassador of India and uh, the positive side of India. What a man. During this lockdown, friends, Mr. Khera has done over 75 webinars. Over 1 million people have logged into his webinars. His trademark is, winners don't do different things. They do the same thing differently. And how are we going to do the things differently? 
how we are going to survive and after survival how we are going to revive and after revival how this industry will thrive this is the theme that uh, mr shiv khera has chosen that let setbacks be comebacks so i think uh, even those who hear kon badega crorepati that is the theme there also let setbacks be into comebacks so thank you mr khera thank you for agreeing to address us motivate us and thank you once again iato uh, and all of uh, the executive committee which has unanimously decided to uh, you know listen to great man shiv khera and those of you who have logged in are very fortunate please take notes please listen very carefully as mentioned switch off your telephones no disturbance the more you concentrate the more you benefit thank you ladies and gentlemen on to the legend mr shiv khera mr khera you are muted mr khera you are muted you need to unmute yourself no you you you've done the wrong one the uh, yeah you need to unmute yourself the one next to this yes okay i'm okay now absolutely subhash thank you for your kind words indeed i'm grateful to you sir and uh, speaking in front of a legend like you i mean uh, it's a challenge you have been a legend all through the travel industry now folks all i can say is if at the end of the program you're looking for some answers and if you walk away with answers i have failed folks i learned in the last 35 years of teaching that a good teacher raises more questions does not give answers so that the student can go out there and then move forward all through life so that's about it so if i raise a more question to you tonight i think my job would be done if you got the answers i might have failed today okay with that i can say is one thing the title of my program is turn setback into comebacks reason being in my life i have had three major setbacks in my life and major setback means i went into minus big minus and what helped me come back is really what i'm going to be share with you tonight okay and uh, first of all i don't have all the answers i don't know anybody who has all the answers i'm not that educated my academics are i'm a bcom third division i failed in my 10th that's about it i come from a business family who had coal mines in india close to 1000 people working now i didn't create them i inherited them and uh, the mines got nationalized the government took over and right from being a mine owner we came on the street street means street some families had money our family did not my father had died when i was in college we were left with the liabilities and the assets were gone and i was married only 4 weeks then and i remember a year later my daughter was born and i did not have 10 bucks to buy milk that night and i sold some of the last piece to my mother's jewelry to get released from the hospital i did not have 10 bucks I tried my hands on three businesses with no money, and I failed in all three. Finally, November thirteenth, nineteen seventy-five, I decided to leave India. Went to U.S. Initially, went to Toronto. I was sleeping on the floor, had no furniture. I started life with a bucket in my hand, washing cars door to door. For about a year and a half to two years, I was on the street washing cars. Now, 
That's how I started. And totally by accident, I got into selling life insurance. And I think that was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. Now, why I say this, many times there is a silver lining to every crisis. I repeat, I repeat again. Many times there is a silver lining to every crisis. And I, I also in between was selling vacuum cleaners in the evening, daytime washing cars, evening time, selling vacuum cleaners. And again, got into selling life insurance. But within less than 90 days, my manager threatened to fire me for non-performance. Well, now there were some turning points in my life, which is what really I'm going to share, which turned my life around. And then I started hitting million dollar policies and uh, moved on to the US, got into three businesses. I bought out a company out of California in 1984, started a New Jersey operation with no clients and I sold my company with close to 500 clients for a decent sum. So I'm gonna share my learning that has taken place during this period. Okay, now with that in mind, this crisis has literally gone from one city to another, covered the whole world with overcrowded hospitals, shortage of supplies, orders getting canceled, factories are closing, unemployment going up, death rate going up. This scenario has literally shaken up the whole world. Now, people are feeling very insecure, insecure because nothing is predictable. There is no finish line, no finish line. Now, with that, people, there's a lot of uncertainty out there and the uncertainty is causing a lot of stress, anxiety, frustration, depression, and even anger. Now, with that in mind, all I can say is stress is both natural and normal. I repeat, stress is both natural and normal. Anybody who says they have no stress belongs into the lunatic asylum. Now, if you notice one thing, all stress is not bad. In fact, it is the stress that makes us perform. The athlete at the Olympics, is he under stress? Answer is yes. If he was not, there's no way he can perform. Now, all of us might have seen in the real life at the race course or at least in the movies, the thoroughbred horses, thoroughbred, again, before they are taken into the cabin, they are doing what? They're all jumping like this. They're all jumping like this. You know why? They're under very heavy stress. Then they're put into the cabin, and the moment the bell rings, bang, they shoot. Now, that's a thoroughbred. But you take a jackass to the race course. This jackass is walking so relaxed, comfortable, cool. He is not jumping up and down like a thoroughbred, but then he will remain a jackass. He will never in life ever be able to perform like a thoroughbred. Now, this sentence is very important. Keep in mind, folks, stress is the price we pay to be a thoroughbred in life. I repeat English language. Stress is the price we pay to be a thoroughbred in life. Now, all I can say is all of us can handle stress. All of us can handle stress. What we cannot handle is chronic stress. Are you with me? See, what we cannot handle is chronic stress. We all can handle stress. Now, all I can say is let us not overrate this crisis and threat 
and let us not underrate our strength to fight and win. I repeat one more time. Let us not overrate this crisis and threat and let us not underrate our strength to fight and win. Now, this crisis has impacted us three ways. One, it has impacted our life, two, our livelihood, and three, our lifestyle. Now, it has impacted our life how? One thing is, none of us know who will be in quarantine next. Nobody knows. Nobody knows, one. And number two, what we do, where we go, and who we meet could be a matter of life and death. Interesting. So one is the life component. Two is livelihood component. Now, who has it impacted the worst? Everybody's livelihood has been closed, and some industry have been badly hit, much worse than the other, just like the hospitality and the travel industry has been hit much, much, much harder than a pharma industry. So it has impacted, no doubt about that. Now, but let us look at who, you see, people's incomes have stopped, businesses have closed, even the governments are going bankrupt many places anyway. Now, with that scenario, who are the worst hit? There are three kinds of people in this world. One is the super rich, two, the mediocre, and three, the poor. The poor are the worst hit. They are the daily wage earners. They go to work during the day and eat in the evening. They are the worst hit. Now comes the super rich. Super rich don't have a problem. Super rich don't have a livelihood issue. They don't have a cash flow problem. I just read Apple Computers has $250 billion in cash reserve. Now, they don't have a livelihood problem. Now, same thing. I would look at the Adanis, the Ambanis, the Birla, the Tatas. I would be totally surprised if they also have a cash flow livelihood problem. They don't have it. Now, that leaves the mediocre people like me and some other listeners here. The mediocres are thinking, will the crisis finish before the money or will the money finish before the crisis? That is the major concern that is coming to all of us. Now, since we are talking of livelihood, you see, there is a crucial thing till now. The word was globalization, globalization, globalization. All of a sudden, the word has changed to localization, localization, localization. Why is that? Reason being, you see, till now, the production was 20,000 miles away from consumption. Now, all of a sudden, a consuming country has realized that a producing country can blackmail you and put you out of business in less than five minutes. I just read America depends on China for 97% of the pharma products. I didn't know that. It is totally a surprise. 97% of pharma products in U.S. come from China. India depends on China for 81% of antibiotics. India depends on China for 70% of electronics. Now, the producing country can blackmail you and throw you out of business in less than five minutes. Now, this is one part. Second is a buzzword, work from home, work from home, work from home. How can you work from home in every industry? You can't. In a manufacturing industry, how can you work from home? In a construction industry, how can you work from home? You can't. Now, the next question comes in is that in certain industries, maybe IT you can. 
Maybe where you can have measurable targets, you possibly can. I had a banker the other day, and they're working with 30% staff right now. And I asked him, I said, is the work from home culture working out? Can you justify paying the salaries to your people? How can you justify paying salaries to your people? And is it working out right? He said, Mr. Kira, the 80-20 rule applies. You know what the 80-20 rule says? Only 20% people are responsible who can work without supervision. 80% still need supervision. Even if you give them measurable targets, they still need supervision. And interestingly, there are many entrepreneurs listening to this one today. And there are four kinds of people. Hear this carefully. And there was a survey conducted in the U.S. by Gallup, which said 63% of people who go to work, they're disengaged. By the way, this survey was conducted before the crisis. 63% of people who go to work, they're disengaged. Means they don't do the job. An additional 24% are actively disengaged. Means they make sure that others also don't do their job. That only leaves 13% of people who actually go to work, they do work. Folks, look at this. This is a global survey by Gallup. Only 13% of people who go to work actually do work. Let me ask you, Subhash, is it not an integrity issue? Is it not an integrity issue? It's a huge integrity issue. We have to re-understand really that wages without work amounts to stealing. Wages without work amounts to stealing. And now, you see, every company has four kind of people working there. Every company has four kind of people. One, the superstars. Superstars are ones who are your asset to the company. They work without supervision. They are contributing the, to the growth of the company. They take pride in their performance. And when they say a job is done, it is done. You go check it out, it is done. They tell the truth. They are honest people. They are very honest people. What, what percentage are they? Very small number. Five or ten percent. Less than that. That is your superstar. But the second kind of category of person is your doer. You tell them they do it, you tell them they do it, you tell them they do it, and then you don't tell them they don't do it, and then when you do it, tell them you got to check if they've done it right. So by and large, they do it right, but once in a while, they slip out and they don't do the job. They don't mind telling lies once in a while. They are occasional liars. Hear this. They are occasional liars. The third category is they're talkers. They talk more, do less, and they're really not motivated people. They only do enough what they can get by with. They only do enough that you have no reason to fire them. But they're really not motivated people. They're talkers. And the fourth is a troublemaker. Four kind of people working in every organization. Fourth is a troublemaker. And this banker said to me, he said, Mr. Kera, we need to get rid of our talkers and our troublemakers. I said, why right now? But don't you think you could, you should have gotten rid of these people even before the crisis? I learned one thing, having run three businesses and sold my companies in the U.S., I've learned one thing. It is better not to have a person than to have a wrong person in your company. True? Yes, no. It is better not to have a person than to have a wrong person because they will pull you down. Now, interestingly, the 
livelihood issue has become a big, big. I will share with you on the turning back, what are we looking at in terms of comebacks? But now let's look at the third component is, is our lifestyle, lifestyle part. Folks, till now, you see, till the lockdown came in, all of us were in the fast lane. Everybody was in the fast lane. We were running all right. Where we were going, we didn't know, but we were running all right. We had no time. Look at this. The amount of time-saving devices we have today, we have never had that many in history, and yet we don't have what? We don't have time. You know why? Because somewhere we messed up our priorities. And I'm not lecturing and giving speeches here. I messed up my own priorities too. And whenever we mess up our priorities, we forget to distinguish between what's urgent in life and what's important in life. Now, urgent may or may not be important and important may or may not be urgent. But the interesting thing is that whenever we ignore what is important, it always converts into urgent. Now, health is important, but it's not urgent. Exercising every day is important, but it's not urgent. Now, if I have a crucial meeting tonight and if I cannot exercise, it's not the end of the world. But if I ignore my health long enough, guess what happens? I will land up in the hospital. Same thing in life. Relationships are important, but they're not urgent. But if you ignore relationship long enough, guess what happens? We start talking to our lawyers. See, folks, whenever we ignore what is important, it always converts into urgent. Now, you see, you ask people, why do you go to work? I go to work for my family. Why do you work hard? I work hard for my family. Who are the most important people in your life? My family. Who are the most neglected? Also my family. What a joke. Sadly, the most important people also become the most neglected too. And I'm guilty again myself. But you see, now people have realized one thing, that after the lockdown, the people have stepped backwards a little bit. And they said, let me reevaluate my priorities. And let me see, till now I was running all right, but let me check, was I running in the right direction? Was I running in the right direction? And now people have realized that in life, direction is much more important than speed. I repeat, in life, direction is much more important than speed. Now, let us talk of one more thing on the lifestyle part. And that is, we kept hearing, at least in the movies everywhere, cash is king, cash is king. We never understood the meaning of cash is king. Now we understood the meaning of cash is king, what it means. It means that it is better to have money in the bank than having 50 shirts in your closet. It is better to have money in the bank than having a car worth quarter million dollars. Now people realize what is the meaning of cash is king. Now, when we did financial planning for our clients, we always used to tell them, buddy, you must have one year of your income accessible within less than 24 hours in cash available to you. One year of your income should always be in cash accessible within less than 24 hours. That is called emergency fund. Why? Because emergencies never warn you in advance. Now, 
If we don't have it, it's a little too late. But going forward, we need to do our planning. And that is where one more thing has happened. You see, many times, when times are good, people are not far-sighted. They can only think, look at up to the noses. Now people have realized one more thing, that we must distinguish between active and passive income. What is active income? I go to work, I get money. That's called active income. I don't go to work, I get no money. That is active income. Now people have realized, even if I don't go to work, I must get income. That is called passive income. Well, we don't have it. It's a little too late. But going forward, we need to understand what we need to do, how far we need to go. Okay. Now, you see, there are only two references in history, like a similar crisis. One was... The Spanish flu, I'm not going to go into it because you heard it enough time from many places. But I just want to make one point here. And that is that uh, Spanish flu came in 1918 and it went away. And people thought the danger is over. But six months later, it came back in second phase and killed 50 million people were dead. Now, I say it only for one reason. That just because the lockdown is over doesn't mean the danger is over. South Korea, Singapore, Melbourne just closed again. And Madrid, again, there's a major issue again, come back. And doctors are saying the second phase in the U.S. has not even come. And almost quarter million people are already dead in the U.S. That is exact number is 210 or 220, something like that. And the second phase is not here as yet. So we cannot drop our guards down. Okay. Second one is, now is a financial crisis. Here is a financial crisis. Was in the Great Depression of 1929, banks collapsed, stock market collapsed, people lost their savings, $100 became $15. And 15 million people were unemployed. Now, 15 million then is equivalent to 60 million today because the population in the U.S. at that time was only 120 million. And I just checked the figures in the U.S. alone. Right now, there are 51 million people on unemployment list right now. Only U.S. alone. Okay. Now, here is a silver lining. Subhash, here is a silver lining. And the silver lining is this. That experience shows whenever unemployment goes up, self-employment always goes up. I repeat, I repeat. Whenever unemployment goes up, self-employment always goes up. Now, during that Great Depression, when people had lost their shirt, they had nothing. No money, no education, no technology, no risk-taking ability, nothing. They had a major crisis. But there were some people, some people who were called positive entrepreneurs, they started their business then in crisis, and today their household works. You see, they had no money, no education, no technology, but one thing they had was they were solution-focused people. Now, have you noticed there are some people who are problem-focused? What that does it means? What does that mean? It means. They have a problem for every solution. You give them a solution, they'll give you a problem. 
Henry Ford said, kick them out, kick them out. You don't need people like that. You know why? He said, we're not stupid. We understand there are problems in life, but we need somebody who's solution focused. Now, I'm going to share only three examples of people who turned around their life like this. One was a man by the name of George Jenkins. In his neighborhood, he started an outlet for non-perishable durable goods. These two words are very important. Non-perishable because if they perish, means total loss. Durable means if he's not able to sell, at least the family can use it. Because they had no money, no risk-taking ability. They were literally on the street. This is how he started 100 years ago. And today, his turnover is $30 billion. Net worth $6 billion. He has 1,000 outlets in the US. And the store is called Public Supermarket. Second example was there were two brothers in California, Gallo brothers. They were struggling. But they caught hold of some grapes, made wine out of it. But nobody would buy it. Nobody had the money to buy it. They started selling their wine at 50% below market. This is how they started 100 years ago. And today, Gallo Winery accounts for 25% of wine trade in the U.S. They're valued at $10 billion. Third example. <clears throat> There's a man by the name of Simplot. He had a patch of land in Idaho. He started cultivating potatoes. Now, what he couldn't sell, the family ate. And what he couldn't eat started rotting. So he could not afford the loss of rotten potatoes, so he started freezing them. This is how he started. And today he accounts for 33% of the French fries business in the U.S. McDonald's being his largest customer, and his valuation is about 10 to $12 billion. Now, folks, I don't want to leave my listeners with the impression that you and I start a business and we will all become billionaires. That is not the message at all. The message is only one clear. All these people went to major crisis, major, major crisis. But they were solution-focused people. And all I can say is think about it. How come under the same set of circumstances, some people break records while others break themselves. I repeat, how come under the same set of circumstances, some people break records while others break themselves? Think about it. Okay. Now, how do we overcome this crisis? Let me share with you, if I have time, I'll go all the way. Let me share with you at least seven steps Normally, I have nine, seven steps on overcoming the crisis. How do we overcome the crisis? Things that have helped me in the past. And I'll go a little slow. If you want to take the steps down, please do so. And the first one is, first one is the serenity prayer. About 45 years ago, I attended a program by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, the man who wrote the book, Power of Positive Thinking. There were a thousand people. I was one of them. Dr. P came in, looked at the whole group here, and he said, 
It appears you people are so relaxed, comfortable, cool. It appears nobody has a problem here. Then he asked, does anybody have a problem here? Everybody raised their hand. Of course, we all have problems. Who doesn't have it? Then he asked, how many people would like to get rid of the problem? Again, everybody raised their hand. And then Dr. Peel said, as I was coming here, I came across a place where I saw some people all stretched out, totally comfortable, relaxed. They had no problem whatsoever. How many people would like to know where that place is? Again, everybody raised their hand. And then Dr. Peel said, remember, he said, two blocks away from here, there is a cemetery. Two blocks away from here, there's a cemetery. There are people lying there, all comfortable, totally relaxed, stretched out. They have no problem whatsoever. And he asked, how many people would like to get rid of, the, rid of their problem? Nobody raised their hand. Everybody put their hand in their pocket. And that day, Dr. Peel said, remember, problem is a sign of life. So long as we are alive, we shall have problems. The day we don't have problems, we'd be dead. And when you're running short of problems, that is the time to get on your knees, pray to God, have you stop trusting me anymore? Send me some problems. Folks, and he said, we cannot solve all our problems. Repeat, we cannot solve all our problems, but we can handle them. Handle is a different word. We can't solve all our problems. He gave a prayer that day, which was the serenity prayer. And in my opinion, the serenity prayer is the gist of life. And in the last 45 years, I have never left my home without my prayer. And I have come across many, many difficult situations in my life. This prayer has helped me overcome them. And folks, I'll say it, repeat it twice if you want to take this down. I'll go like, it goes like this. <clears throat> God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. And courage to change the things that I can. And wisdom to know the difference what I can and what I cannot. I repeat. God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. And courage to change the things that I can. And wisdom to know the difference what I can and what I cannot. Now, if you analyze and dissect this little prayer. It says everything. It's the curse of life. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Now, my question is, can we change everything in this world? Answer is no. Do we control everything in this world? Answer is no. Can we mold and change everything the way we want? Answer is no. There are many things beyond us, such as, I didn't choose my parents, neither did you. I didn't decide where I was going to be born and neither did you. And if this is my height and the color of my skin, there's nothing I can do about it. And granted, sometimes people are born deformed. And granted, sometimes bad things do happen to good people for no fault of their own. That's true. Now, there's nothing we can do. How did this corona crisis come? I don't know. I don't know. 
nobody knows. Point is, but it's here, it is here. Now it says, what I cannot change. Let me accept it graciously, not grudgingly. Because many times in life, we keep fighting the things we can't change, and we bring stress into our lives, and we become paralyzed, and we become totally unproductive. I repeat, when we are under heavy stress, even there is opportunity knocking at our door, we can't see it anywhere because we go blind with stress. Are you with me? Hello? Are you with me, Mera Sahib? Are you with me, sir? You see, with stress, it blinds us. And when there is opportunity knocking at our door, even with the crisis, we can't see it. Okay, now. It says, because what I cannot change, let me accept it graciously, not grudgingly. And if I can change, then give me the guts to do it. And wisdom to know what I can and what I cannot. Okay, now, see, when I wrote my new book, You Can Achieve More, which was launched in London last year, I wrote in, I took this thought and took it two steps forward, and I wrote in that life is full of choices and life is full of compromises. It seemed like a contradiction, but not really. See, now how is life full of choices? Look at this. If I ill-treat you, I've chosen to be ill-treated, haven't I? If I treat you with discourtesy, I've chosen to be treated with discourtesy, haven't I? And if I light up a cigarette, I've chosen to invite cancer, haven't I? If I drink and drive, I've chosen to invite an accident, haven't I? And if I exercise every day, I've chosen to invite good health, haven't I? If I eat too much every day, I've chosen to be obese, haven't I? Now, if I tell lies, I have chosen to lose my credibility, haven't I? And if I tell the truth, I've chosen to be a credible person, haven't I? See, folks, life is full of choices. Now, keep in mind, we are all free to the point of choice, but after we make our choices, the choice controls the chooser. We have no more choice after that. I repeat, there are only consequences. We are all free to the point of choice, but after we make our choices, the choice controls the chooser. We have no more choice. And how is life full of compromises? As somebody said, well, we cannot choose the cards that are dealt to us, what we can choose, how we play the game. And sometimes nature gives us a lemon. The choice is ours. Do we cry or do we make lemonade? That is our choice. Now, Sometimes people ask me, Mr. Kera, people who are successful, don't they make mistakes in life? And people who fail in life, don't they do positive things in life? And my answer is that people who are successful, they do make mistakes in life. But remember, Making a mistake once in a while does not make anybody a failure. 
repeating the same mistake again and again is what brings failure. And doing something positive once in a while does not bring success either. Repeating the same positive behavior again and again is what brings success. So folks, what is success? Series of positive choices in life is called success and series of negative choices in life is called failure. That's about it. I'll come to something further as I go along. Something came to my mind. Okay, step one and step two. Step two. Step two is, folks, limit your exposure to news to twice a day. 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening. That's it. You know why? News is so negative. It is depressing. Totally depressing. We notice one thing. There are some people who wake up in the morning and they turn the TV on. And what are they looking for? Looking for score. As if there's a cricket match going on between India and Australia. What score are they looking for? How many infected? How many died? How many infected? How many died? How many infected? How many died? They are watching that for one hour. And then they change the channel as if the score is going to change. And then they move to the third channel, and the fourth channel, and the fifth channel. And from morning till night, 14 hours, the guy is watching how many infected, how many died. And at the end of the day, man says, I am depressed. Of course you will be depressed. You are inviting depression into your head. And the more depressed you are, your immunity goes down and you depress the whole damn family also. Limit your exposure to news twice a day and you're done. Okay. Step three, step three. Folks, convert downtime to uptime. Convert wasted time to productive time. How do you do it? Subhash, I just read something on Nelson Mandela. Amazing, amazing. 27 years in jail, 27 years in jail. When he came out, somebody asked him, Mr. Mandela, how did you survive 27 years in jail? He said, I was not surviving, I was preparing. I was not surviving, I was preparing. From there, I took out a quotation I will not let this crisis define me. I will use this crisis to refine me. Folks, hear everybody. I will not let this crisis define me. I will use this crisis to refine me. Now, how do you turn downtime to uptime? Folks, before this crisis came, in the US, there was a survey conducted which said an average American watches three to four hours of television per day before the crisis. Now, this is not only American, but European, Asian, American, Australian, everybody four hours a day. This is norm. Before the crisis. Right now, there are people watching eight, ten hours of TV per day. And then the guy says, he's sitting there and says, I'm unlucky, does nothing anyway. He's just watching TV. And he says, I'm unlucky. 
Of course there's a crisis, and you want to invite more crisis on top of a crisis. Okay, now, how do you do it? A man went to his friend and asked, you watch four hours of TV per day. Do you know how much this TV is costing you? He said, I bought it for a thousand bucks. He said, you don't understand the meaning. What is a TV costing you? He said, what do you mean? He said, have you ever calculated your hourly rate? He said, well, if I make $100,000 per year and uh, I work 2,000 hours per year, my hourly rate comes to $50 an hour. He said, well, you watch four hours of TV per day. That is $200 per day. Multiply 365. This TV is not costing you 1000 bucks. The TV is costing you $75,000 per year, which is more than your EMI on a million-dollar home. We're all business people. We need to understand the value of time. Now, don't get me wrong. We all like to watch TV. It is nice, entertaining. It is relaxing. Once in a while, a good movie. But watching four hours of TV per day, what the hell are you doing? You are making those people rich who are acting in the TV and you pay for it. No wonder they will be rich and you'll be poor for the rest of your life. Watch more. Maybe 12 hours. They love it. Folks, I share in my book, You Can Achieve More. I have given a survey which said 85% of millionaires and billionaires today in the world are first generation. I repeat, 85% of millionaires and billionaires today in the world are first generation. Only 15% coming from inheritance. And they were asked, how did you achieve so much financial success in such a short time? And their answer was, we read books. How many books? 50 books a year. 50 books a year means one book a week. And they were asked, what kind of books do you read? Do you read fiction? They said, no. Fiction is fiction, we remain fiction. We don't read fiction, we have no time to waste. They said, we only read self-help books. Why? Reason being, one good idea is worth a million dollars. One good idea is worth a million dollars. And reason being, why we read self-help books? That a good book gives you wisdom of ages in a capsule form. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are people who have gone that path before. And they're claiming success. Follow that path. Avoid the pitfalls, man. And read a book. Warren Buffett, check out on him. Read six to eight hours per day. Bill Gates, the avid reader. You look at this multimillionaire, the billionaires read one book a week, one book a week. So what does it tell us? There is a connection between learning and earning and learning and earning and learning and earning and learn more, earn more, learn more, earn more. But there are people who say, I have no time. I have no money. They are unemployed. They have no work. But they will not read a book. They will not read a book. And they will complain. And then, 
They say, well, when I have the money, I'll buy the book. You know something, you can get every book today for free at every library. They, will, they are only complainers. They will never do anything constructive. Now, let's come back here. You see, I've also found one thing that a serious reader will never borrow or lend books. They will never borrow or lend books. Why? Many times people come to me and they say, Mr. Kerr, I got a great new book. I can lend it to you. I said, don't. Give it to me, gift it to me, sell it to me. Don't lend it to me. Why? Because I will not give it back to you. Why? Because I learned one thing. When I read a good book, I always have a pencil and a marker and make notes on the side. Why? Because I learned one thing. Reading a good book once is not good enough. Why? Because when you, when you read a good book, second time, you don't find anything new in the book, but you find something new in yourself. When you read it the third time, you find something new in yourself again, not in the book. And fourth time and fifth time. You know something, folks? There are books I have read 10 times. The managing director of Arrow Electronics from US, $26 billion company, attended my leadership program. And 15 years ago, and he says, Mr. Kira, I read your book, You Can Win, 10 times, and it's my ritual. Every year, I start my year with your book, 10 times. And there are people who tell me, I read your book once. I said, you wasted your time, man. You wasted your time. You read it only to pass time. You read it for entertainment. You have got nothing out of my book. There are books I read 10 times. Books. Why am I sharing this with you for a very important reason? You see, there was a time I used to read about 20, 30 books a year. But in between, I dropped the habit. And uh, don't get me wrong. First couple of days of the lockdown, I also watched eight hours of TV per day. First two days. Then I kicked myself and said, what the hell are you doing? I said, you want to waste your life like this? Folks, I went into my office and I opened up my cartons where I have got my books because I couldn't fit all of them. I found in my library alone in my office, I have quarter million books. Matter of fact, I have quarter million books in my library. Many libraries don't have it. And I saw many books were half read. I brought them, started reading them. And one night I was reading till six o'clock in the morning, couldn't wake up till two o'clock, but who cares? I did not waste my time watching TV. Now, if during this crisis, hear this carefully, folks, if during this crisis, you do not come out prepared, prepared, if from this crisis, you don't come out more upskilled, upskilled, two, more knowledgeable, and three, healthier, fitter, you cannot blame that we did not have time. I repeat, Three things. If from this crisis you have not come upskilled, two, more knowledgeable, three, healthier and fitter, you cannot blame we did not have time. Now, why do I share these three things? Folks, I did my first webinar on 8th of April. Now, hear this. Subhash, I don't know if I mentioned this to you. But till then, till I had my first webinar, 
I did not know how to open a computer. I did not know how to do it. I was learning to do SMS from my grandchildren. And Merasab, in my life, I have net not done an email. I have not done an email. I did not know how to turn this computer on. And I learned, I'm still learning. I, I got into the computer and in the last 90 days, I've done 75 webinars. And many paid, people have paid for it. And it has opened up totally a new business for me, which I didn't know about. I did not know how to do it. We are doing our online programs now. We're starting out the whole thing. I, in my life till 90 days, I did not know how to do this. I just learned. Now, one. Number two, I've started reading my books back again. And number three, I've lost six kilos of weight. I have lost six kilos of weight. I'm exercising every day, sometimes twice a day. I go to my sauna every day. And man lost six kilos, and I'm feeling fitter than much better as I was than 20 years ago. Folks, all I can say is if during the crisis we have not upskilled, I repeat, upskilled, become more knowledgeable, three, healthier and fitter, we cannot blame that we did not have time. And look at, remember Mandela. This is not surviving time. This is preparation time. Are you with me? This is preparation time. When we have no time, we're building up. Okay. Step four. Step four. Folks, in order to overcome crisis, Build strong relationships in life. They are crucial in life. Now, folks, I'm going to share with you one little story from my book, You Can Win. <clears throat> there were two childhood friends, Bill and Harry, went to school together, college together, joined the army, and war broke out and they were fighting in the same unit. Harry was in the trench. Bullets were flying all over. The voice came from the darkness, Harry, I'm hurt, please come and help me. So right away he knew this was his childhood friend Bill. So he asked the captain, can I go? Captain said, no. Look at the bullets are flying. You could be dead. I could be short-handed. And the way Bill is sounding, I don't think he will live anyway. Well, Harry kept quiet. But then the voice came again, Harry, I'm hurt, please come and help me. Now, since he had asked once and been refused, he did not have the gut to ask a second time. But then the voice came the third time, fourth time, fifth time. Harry, I'm hurt. Please come and help me. Fifth time, he couldn't hold himself. He said, Captain, this is my childhood friend. I must go. Captain said, okay, go. So Harry crawled through the darkness, grabbed Bill, dragged him back, threw him into the trench, fell over him, and they found Bill dead. That was his dead body. So when Captain saw Bill dead, he got angry. He said, didn't I tell you, you could have been killed and I could have been, been short-handed. 
and he didn't make it anyway. He said, Harry, you made a mistake. Harry said, no, Captain, I did not make a mistake. Because when I reached Bill and grabbed him, he wasn't dead. His last words were, Harry, I knew you would come. He said, Captain, I did not make a mistake. Folks, this is how crucial relationships are in life. And when there's a good one, it needs to be nurtured and cherished. And folks, keep in mind, our biggest asset in life is not our bank balance. It is our relationship balance. Have you noticed one thing? That people who have good relationships, what they can achieve with one phone call, you cannot achieve with a million dollars. Are you with me? Wave your hands. Yes, no. You see, people who have good relationships, what they can achieve with one phone call, you cannot achieve with a million dollars. And, folks, when we talk of relationships, we're talking of three kinds of relationships. Personal, professional, social relationships. Three relationships. And personal is what? God forbid, if any one of us was in hospital tonight, how many people will be around us? Probably two or three, no more, if that. And sadly, many times, those are the ones we take them for granted. Folks, I found one thing, that from this crisis, people who are emotionally strong, they're coming out stronger. I repeat, people who are emotionally strong, they're actually coming out stronger. The bondings are much stronger. And people who are emotionally weak, they're falling apart. And if you don't bring yourself closer, you will fall apart. And I want to say one thing. You see, the current generation today, current generation today, they do not understand the meaning of relationship. You know, sad part is, today's generation, they live with a philosophy, love at first sight, divorce at first fight. Are you with me? Love at first sight, the worst at first fight. And you see, sadly, you know, Subhash, we teach our children to win, succeed, win, succeed, win, succeed, win, succeed. Of course, winning is important and success is important. But we do not tell them that life doesn't always go like this. We go ups and downs, ups and downs. And they only, for they only learned one thing to win and succeed. They don't know how to face a setback in life. And sadly, you go check out the entire world. When these people, the younger generation is facing a setback, you know what? They get onto drugs, they get depression, they commit suicide. They have never learned to fail in life. We need to teach them also that. That failing is part of life. And go check out the greatest Success stories in the world are stories of great failures. The greatest masters were the greatest disasters at one time in life. I repeat, the greatest masters in life were the greatest disasters in life. 
We need to give the right value that life is not always like this. We have to go up and down, up and down. It doesn't go one way. Are you with me? You see, we need to understand one thing crucial. I just did a program for NHS, National Health Service in UK, second largest healthcare body in the world. And I just read 40% of doctors are facing depression. 17% thought of committing suicide. It is sad. Okay. Now let's talk of relationships. Folks, there are many people who join associations, chamber of commerces, rotaries, lions, or even the travel agency association and all kinds of organizations to build contacts, to build contacts, networking, networking, networking. Now, I just want to make one point. There is a big difference between building a contact versus building relationship. Are you with me? Big difference between building a contact versus building a relationship. And you ask them, I'm networking, building contacts. Purpose is, oh, someday he could be useful. He's a doctor, he's a lawyer, he's a politician, he's a mafia, he's a gunda, he's a what? He said, whatever, he could be useful someday. Usefulness goes, friendship goes also. Usefulness goes, friendship goes. With such people, you can never build relationships because they are only looking to utilize your usefulness and they throw you out. They're parasites, rascals, selfish people. They're only takers in life. You can never, never, never in life build relationship with people like that. How can you do it? I share with you, we have an office in Singapore. And uh, one day I came from dinner and somebody met me in the lobby. And uh, he said, Mr. Yukira, you came for dinner? I said, yes. His first thing was, I hope you met some people who could be useful to you. Look at this. I hope you met some people who could be useful to you. I felt like giving him a piece of my mind and something more. Because he can only think of one thing. I hope this person could be useful. He's only looking to extract something out of it. It's useful. This person does not understand that meeting good people in life is good enough. Are you with me? Meeting good people in life is good enough. He's only looking for what he can extract. They're parasites. Now, keep one thing in mind. Relationships are built on mutual respect, not on tolerance. You keep hearing the word tolerance is good enough. You should tolerate. In my opinion, my vocabulary, tolerance is a messed up word. I share with you reason. 
I and my wife live together, not because we can tolerate each other. We live together because we respect each other. Then the respect for each other goes, we can't live together. If we only live together because out of tolerance means we are postponing the blast. Same thing, employers and employees don't work together long term because they can tolerate each other. They work long term together because they respect each other. If they don't have mutual respect, you can never have working long term relationship with anybody. Tolerance means postponing the blast. Now keep one thing in mind. If I have a friend for 20 years and tonight if he has a problem, who is he going to go for help to? Most natural person is friend of 20 years. He can't start to make new friends tonight. Now, is it my duty to help? Answer is yes. If I help him, I'm doing a favor? No. If I don't help him, am I behaving like a friend? Answer is no. Keep one thing in mind, folks. <clears throat> Helping each other is a duty of a friend. I repeat English language. Helping each other is a duty of a friend. It is never the purpose of friendship. Because if it is a purpose, purpose finishes, friendship finishes also. I repeat, helping each other is a duty of a friend. But it is always incidental to friendship, never the purpose of friendship. Because if it becomes a purpose, then purpose finishes, friendship also finishes. Folks, remember, People who are emotionally strong, they build strong relationships, and that is your biggest asset in life. Okay. And, and I want to share something very crucial. And more so for the travel industry right now. And in fact, when we do consulting for which people pay us money, I share one thing for them. And this thing has come up a few times. They said, well, how do we prepare? How do we prepare? Once the crisis is over, is there any way we can prepare for the future? And cut down the gestation period. I said, look, I'm not an expert in your trade. You know best. I'm nobody on that side. But I can say only one thing as a professional. I said, do one thing. <clears throat> this is downtime. This is preparation time. Go back, and this is an idea all of us can use here, the listening. Go back and look at your client base for the last seven years. I repeat, go back and look at your client base for the last seven years that you have done business in the past seven years. And check who you have not done any business in the last 24 months. That means the people who did business four, five, six years ago, some of them, they might have dropped you. They left you. And they've not done any business in the past 24 months. Do one thing. Pick up the phone and call the guy who did business with you five years ago. And right now, he's also sitting there. He's not that busy either. He'll take your call. He'll talk to you. And don't ask for business. Don't ask for business. Do not ask for business. All you do is talk to them. Buddy, we did business five, six years ago, and 
We had a lot of respect for you, sir. I just, I'm not calling for any business. I'm just calling to check. Sir, I need a favor from you. Can you please help me? Where did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong that we disconnected three years ago or two years ago? Sir, I'll be grateful if you could just tell me that. And I'm not looking to do any business with you right now. He'll talk to you. He will talk to you right now. Which tomorrow he may not talk to you. When he gets busy, he will not talk to you. You know something? You create a bank. A create, you create a bank. And the moment the crisis is over, man, you'll take a jump start. This is the time to call every client pickup. I'll show you one thing. A banker, banks are working at 30% manpower. I asked one of the bankers, are you working at 30% efficiency level also? He said, no, sir. He said, we are working at 60% efficiency level and we are looking to shoot to get to 90% efficiency level with 30% staff. I said, how's that? He said, sir, there are many people on manual banking. We put them on digital banking, especially senior citizens who didn't understand computer like me. He said, we are going to see each person today and putting them on digital platform. And we are able to achieve 90%, 80%, 90% efficiency with 30% staff. Can you imagine how people are using downtime for prep time? The moment the crisis is over, you'll get a jump start. When you are busy, you have no time to upskill. I repeat, when you are busy, when people said upskill yourself, hey, time in a year, sir. Time in a year. This is time to upskill, man. Okay. Build strong relationship. And one more thing is. You see, you can only build relationships by adding value addition to another person's life. I repeat, you can only be relationship when you add a value addition to another person's life. And how do you do it? You have to give to the other person. You must give. Remember, helping each other is a duty of a friend, never the purpose of friendship. Okay. Now, I share this because... I've been doing corporate training for the last 30 odd years now, 35 years, doing for many companies, Johnson & Johnson, HP, and so on. When we do corporate training, we tell people, Subhash, that what we are doing in your corporation today is repair work. I'm repairing. Now, if you prepare them, you won't have to repair them. Where do you prepare them? You prepare them in schools and colleges. You prepare them in schools and colleges. And folks, the dean of James Cook University from Australia attended our program. And he said, Mr. Kira, we need this program here in our university. And we have just set up a center. They, they partnered with us, creating a center of leadership excellence for them. And we have created a program called Prepare, Don't Repair. Prepare them, don't repair them. And Daikin is my client. We just starting out with them. University and same thing with 
Schindler, we, they have a university, and in UK also, we're doing this program. I offer this, I offer this, and volunteer my service to you for the travel industry, travel industry, trade. I would be more than happy to offer my leadership program for you people. If you have a university or something, or you want to create something of this nature, I'll be more than happy to do it, Subhash and Mr. Mehra, all of you people. So take me up on it. It is not a commercial engagement. I'm volunteering to do this. So do that if you want to. Okay, move on. Next part is you want to overcome the crisis, become a proactive person, not a reactive person. Become a proactive person, not a reactive person. What does that mean? When we do our three, four day leadership program, we ask people, are you a good person? And sometimes they say, well, I am good. And you ask them, what makes you good? Well, they say, well, I don't do bad, so I'm good. I don't tell lies, I don't cheat, I don't steal, so I'm good. And my answer is, I disagree with you. And the reason I disagree with you is, not doing bad does not make a person good. If I don't tell lies, it only means I'm not a liar, but that does not make me good. If I don't steal, it only means I'm not a thief, but that does not make me good. Go ask a medical doctor. Absence of ill health does not mean good health. Are you with me? Absence of ill health does not mean good health. So a person does not become, because they don't do bad, a person becomes good only when they proactively do good. Now, why am I sharing this with you? Because I've been doing leadership programs for the last 35 years, and I've learned one thing, that a good leader always takes a stand for something and takes a stand against something. A good leader is never neutral. If you're a neutral, you're a politician. I repeat, a good leader takes a stand for something and takes a stand against something. They're not neutral. All my life, I've never been a neutral person. I have likes and dislikes. Now let me share with you what I mean. Folks, you keep hearing the word compassion is a good word. That is true. But I have no compassion for the enemies of humanity. I repeat, I have no compassion for the enemies of humanity. Now, who do I call enemies of humanity? I've seen videos from New York, Europe, India, many places, and I've seen whether people infected or not, they are ill-treating and beating up the nurses, beating up the doctors, throwing stones at them, and not only that, beating up the uh, security professionals, and they are spitting at them. They're spitting on vegetables, spitting on fruits, knowing fully well that if I spit, he could be dead. You tell me one thing. Is this not sadistic behavior? Don't you call them enemies of humanity? If you don't call them enemies of humanity, what do you call them? Are you with me, Mr. Mehra? Yes. They are enemies of humanity. And I said, I have no compassion for them. Now, why do I share this? I was doing the program. There were five, 6,000 people. As I finished the program, one person came from the audience and he asked me, Mr. Kera, are you a Gandhian? I learned one thing. 
before you answer a question, you must clarify. And two, sometimes the best answer to a question is a question. So I asked him, sir, can you tell me who is a Gandhian? What are the criteria of being a Gandhian? How do you define a Gandhian? And he says, well, Gandhi believed in three principles in life. One, that with love, you can win everybody. That's one principle of Gandhi. Two, Gandhi believed in tolerance. And three, Gandhi believed in nonviolence. Three principles of Gandhi. And then he looked at me again, are you a Gandhian? I don't know what came to my mind. I said, well, I've been living in the US for the past 45 years, but I'm an Indian. And we respect our epics, the Ramayana, the Mahabharata, Bhagavad Gita, and the Guru Granth Sahib, they are respected. I've not read them, but I've heard them. And I asked him, sir, can you tell me, was Ram a Gandhian? Was Ram a Gandhian? Now, you, let's look at your three principles of Gandhi. One, with love, you can win everybody. Tell me, was Ram able to win everybody with love? Answer is, answer is what? No. Two, you said tolerance. Did Ram say I'm a very tolerant person? You kidnap my wife away, I'll get a second one. You kidnap a second one, I'll get a third one. Get a third one, I'll get a fourth one. Did he say that? He said, no, I do not tolerate kidnappers. And three, you said nonviolence. I said, tell me, what did Ram do? He pulled out his weapon and he killed that evil. That's all. Even for self-defense, that was violence. So I said, well, Ram failed all three tests. That means Ram was not a Gandhian. I said, why go that far? You go look at life history of our 10 Sikh Gurus. The 10 Sikh Guru, Guru Gobind Singh Sahib, you see, was he able to, when the Mughals were forcibly converting everybody into Islam, was he able to win with love? Answer is no. Two, did he say I will tolerate to terrorism? He said no. See, did he pull out his weapon? Answer is yes. He was not a Gandhian either. I said, tell me, you keep talking of your scriptures, our scriptures. Show me one place in the scripture which says, when the enemy is auctioning the respect and dignity of your women and children, where does it say at that time that you should go to temples and do bhajan kirtan that time and meditation at that time? Bloody well, that's the time to fight. Not fighting is called cowardice. Did Ram Sam a neutral person? He said he took a stand for something, took a stand against something. I said, buddy, listen carefully. I'm not a Gandhian. I am not a Gandhian. Remember, as a good leader, we must take a stand in life. There is no other answer. There is no other answer. Okay. Second last item. I'm moving on. Folks, to overcome crisis, remember, faith gives strength. But blind faith leading to superstition weakens people. And that is sad. That is very sad. Now, let me show you what it means. One of the biggest damage done to India has been done by our media print media, electronic media. Every time you turn the TV on, what do you see? There is some Babaji there wearing saffron clothes or white clothes and put three tilaks here and three tilaks there. And he asks, 
Where are you calling from? What is your name? What is your date of birth? What is your time of birth? He said, Guruji, I don't know. And he said, don't worry, I'll take it out. He does tick, 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 tick. And he says, you have Patni dosh, Putri dosh, Pita dosh, Palana dosh, Ye dosh, and you got Manglik, 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 okay? And then he says, Tumbe Shani Chariya, Shani Chariya, Shani Chariya. And now he says, Shani Uttarne ka upai. Kata Shani Uttarne ka upai ye hai. Ye kala rumal lo, usme kali dal dalo, usme kala kaja lagao, phi kala bal wala khojo, saath wali khopdi mein ghoao, kala kutta khojo, kala bartan khojo. This is what is going on. Sir, why am I sharing this with you? Mera sahab, hear this. Why am I sharing this with you? You tell me, if it is so easy to get shani in, shani out, shani in, shani out, shani in, shani out, let me ask you, why don't we send shani to Pakistan and destroy all the terrorists? Tell shani to do it. If it is so easy to get shani in, shani out, why don't we send shani to the Ladakh and fight all the Chinese there? I want to ask one question. Why does Shani permanently stay in India. Shani never goes to Australia. Why doesn't Shani ever go to New Zealand? Shani is permanently sitting here. Why am I talking all this? If you look at life history of Swami Vivekananda, Swami Dayanand, Guru Nanak, they never believed in all these things. In fact, they fought against these things. They look at their life history. They fought against it. Go check out the life history of Sikh Gurus. You see, they have no horoscopes. There is no Manglik. There is no Shubh Mahurat. Every Sikh wedding is done only on a Sunday. Sunday does they try to do on a Saturday. Saturday does they try to do on a Friday. I'm sharing with you all this for a very important reason. There was an article. Here's an article here. It's a superstition. There was an article that came out in January 2018 in India today. And it said because of astrology and superstition, natural childbirth in many parts of India has gone down by 80%. 80%. And the quote in South India, Bangalore, Hyderabad, Madras, 80% of childbirth is done through C-section operation. You know why? Because some astrologers said, this is a good time to pull out the kid. What a joke. What a joke. Why am I sharing this with you? Very important reason. You see, all of, us have, all of us have ups and downs in life. All of us have ups and downs. Ups and downs. Everybody has ups and downs. There is no person who says they don't have down in life. We all have ups and downs. Folks, I'll share with you examples. But here, you see, a person who's going to get somewhere in life, whenever there's a down, hear this, whenever there's a down, they analyze, learn from it. And they ask, if a similar situation came, will I behave the same way? If the answer is yes, they have not learned anything. They learn from it, accept responsibility, they don't repeat the same mistakes. But a person who's not looking to get anywhere in life, you know what? They never analyze and never accept responsibility. And when things go wrong, you know what they say? Not my fault, my stars are not favoring me. 
and they will blame the stars, never learn anything from it, and they will keep repeating the same mistake again and again and again and again. And they will keep going to all kinds of Babaji's here and a Babaji's there. And that's it. And they touch their feet. The guy should be in jail, man. What are we talking here? People run to the Babaji. Babaji, kya kare? Babaji, kya kare? Ek Baba kata, beta, preet karo, preet karo, preet karo. Ek preet bech raha hai. Ek Baba honey bech raha hai. Ek honey preet mix karke bech raha hai. What a joke. Why am I sharing this? Indian oil is a child of mine. When I was, once I was coming to the airport, and the driver hit the brake so hard that the car came to a screeching halt. So I asked the driver, what happened? Kya ho gaya, bhai? Bule sahab, bili rasta kaat gai. Toh mene kya ab kya ho gaya? Kaya sahab, ab jana nahi chahiye, kuj apshagun ho jayega, nuksan ho jayega. Mene kaya, mene flight miss ho gaya, toh baut nuksan ho jayega. I asked him, mene kaya, bhaiya, ab kya karo, ab kya karo, what will you do now? कहता सब गाड़ी रोक देता हूं मैंने कहा कब तक गाड़ी रोकोगे कहता सब जब तक दूसरा कोई निकल नहीं जाता तो मैंने कहा उसका नुकसान हो जाए बोले हिज प्रॉब्लम कहता दैट इज हिज प्रॉब्लम एज इफ ही न्यू ऑल दी एंसर्स देन आई एस्ट इन वन थिंग सपोजिंग यू आर फिफ्टीन इयर्स बिहाइंड एंड द कैट हेड क्रॉस द रोड एंड हैव यू नॉट सीन द कैट and you would have come driven straight then you would have been the first car in that case what would have happened sab his answer was as if he had done phd on billi kehta sab us halat mein billi ki power kam ho jati hai billi ki power kam ho jati hai sab aap log hans rahe hain padhe likhe phd mbas are doing this kind of stuff and go look at swami vivekanand dayanand and gurunanak they fought against this and lastly i just want to bring one point here and that is you see i was doing one of my programs and one person from the audience asked me a question that mr khera when people go to temples and they wait 12 hours 12 hours to get darshan what do you call it is it faith or blind faith and my answer to them was only one thing that look i pray every day why do i pray every day because i believe in god now why do i believe in god have i seen god where is god who is god what is god i don't know i don't know i don't have the answers but the reason i believe in god is because there are many things which are beyond human superhuman now there are many things which are unexplained are there miracles or mysteries i don't know i don't know but there is something beyond human which i call it god and that's about it so i pray every day but in the last 45 years barring two three times i have not gone to any temple and i feel very strongly that 90% people who go to temples they go there more out of fear than out of faith are ye nahi karoge ye ho jayega ye nahi karoge ye ho jayega ye nahi karoge ye ho jayega Folks, my only thing is when people are down in life, and which today all of us are down, all of us are down. Let us not become victim to blind faith. Maintain your strength and move on with it. That is the only way we can see 
things, opportunity in life. Otherwise, there's nothing we can do about it. And lastly, lastly, folks, this is time to give back. We are grateful to God has given us good house and honorable food. Many people don't have that privilege. It is now time to give back. And there are many good people all over the world. I've seen videos. There are people who have donated their time, their money, their food. They've donated very well. But there is one community, one community who has been honored as a community for the humanitarian service, as a community. The government of Canada, government of Canada has honored them. USA government has honored them. UK, Australia, New Zealand government has honored them for the humanitarian service. And that community is the Sikh community of India. You, you know why? Because even before this crisis came, the Guru Granth Sahib, the philosophy of the Sikh Gurus, has been the concept of Langar has been there 500 years, 500 years. They've been feeding people, lakhs of people today, millions are getting fed. You know why? Because the Sikh philosophy believes in, one, they're caring people. Two, they're sharing people. Three, they're daring people. I repeat three words. They're caring people, they care. They're sharing people, they share. And they're daring people, they, they dare. They have the guts and courage to fight. Look at that Sikh boy, Gurtej, killed 42 of them before he went. You know why? The Sikh philosophy says, Zulm karna paap hai, Zulm sena usse bhi bada paap hai. And the Sikh philosophy rests on three pillars. Nam jap, kirat kar, chak. Nam jap is omnipotent God, nirankari God. One God, one. Kirat kar, Work hard. Have you ever seen a sick beggar in this world, even one? Subhash, have you ever seen a sick beggar in this world? You will never find one. You know what? This is not ego. This is not ego. This is dignity of labor. They will clean your bathroom. They have no problem. They will clean your shoes, but they will not go back. This is not ego. This is dignity of labor. And one chap share. And you see, the Sikh philosophy is so powerful. They have no caste. Every Sikh man is a Singh. Every Sikh woman is a core. There is no caste. And I wish, I wish in India, we had adopted the philosophy of Guru Granth Sahib to run this country instead of our own constitution. This country would have been a totally a different country. Now, I just want to close this with one thing, that when we do our three, four day leadership programs, people tell me, Mr. Kera, you talk of money. I said, of course I talk of money. Financial independence is crucial. I talk of money, but then they say money is not important. And I've written my book, People who say money is not important, either they are stupid or they're billionaires. Now, money is, 
I didn't say money is the most important thing, but money is very important. Money is food for the shelter of hungry. Money is food, medicine for the sick. Money is shelter for the needy. Money is wonderful. Remember, it is the love of money which is the root of all evils. Loving money using people, you got it wrong. Loving people using money, you got it right. But this is the difference between making money versus earning money. Remember, making money is criminal, earning money is spiritual. I repeat, making money is criminal, earning money is spiritual. What is the difference? When we earn it, we put our energies, ethics behind it. I repeat, we put our energies and ethics behind it. But sadly, most people want to make money today. Very few want to earn money today. And, but keep in mind, in the pursuit of money, many times we lose out the things money just cannot buy. And the most precious things in life, money just cannot buy. See, folks, money can buy you amusement, but not happiness. Money can buy you books, but not wisdom. Money can buy you a bed, but not sleep. Money can buy you a companion, but not a friend. Money can buy you comfort, but not happiness. Money can buy you food, but not appetite. Money can buy you a house, but not a home. Money can buy you medicine, but not good health. Money can buy you a ring, but not a marriage. The most precious things in life, money just cannot buy. But remember, money is very important. Not the most important thing. With those words, all I can say is when we finish our programs, leadership program, we tell everybody that it is a moral obligation of every good human being to become a multi, multi millionaire and a billionaire. You know why? I learned one thing money in good hands always does good, and money in evil hands always does evil. With those words, folks, all I can say is what you have given me is priceless. I don't know if I have returned you enough during this time. You have given me a priceless, and that is your time. And you gave me your time because you trusted me that I will not waste your time. And I learned one thing. And then life, trust is a much greater compliment in life than love. There are people we love, but we cannot trust. With those words, Subhash, I want to thank you once again, sir. And all the office bearers, Mr. Mera and everybody, sir. Grateful to you. I put the floor back to you. Mr. Shakira, thank you so much. Uh, and true to your word, I think uh, you've given us more questions to think about and ask you maybe later, not answer some of them, which you mentioned in the beginning. Uh, I could go on with what thing that you have said. But uh, let me tell you that I have we have received numerous questions from all our listeners. And uh, because there's paucity of time, I can't take all of them. But I definitely would like to take three or four of them, which are very important. And I would like you to please answer them briefly uh, so that we can at least take them and go ahead with it. Uh, the first question which came to us first was, which I would like to see is, is Mr. Sanjeev Joshi from Time Travels Gurgaon. Please tell us one solution on how to stay positive in the present situation when no one wants to help us. Look, I, I don't think any of us has gone through a situation where like this. It's a crisis to all of us, including myself and you all, everybody. 
And to some, it's a little more. Some don't have sustaining power. And I understand that, obviously, the severity is different. And including the guys on the street, they, they are in a different scenario. True. All I can say is one thing. I, can, I want to answer you in a slightly different manner because many times people ask me, Mr. Kerr, people read your books. They're all charged up. People go through your program. They're all charged up. But how long will it last? How long will They heard you now. They're charged up. But how long will it last? So my answer to them is, my friend, the food that you ate yesterday, how long did that last? <laughs> you don't eat food, man. You die out. The bath that you took yesterday, how long did that last? See, if you don't take a bath every day, we start stinking every day. And just the way our bodies need food every day, we need positive thoughts every day to stay positive. So that means we, our body just does not need junk food. We need good food. If we eat junk food, we'll fall sick. Similarly, our mind just does not need thoughts. It needs positive thoughts every day. Otherwise, we become mentally sick. And that holds to even people like me. People ask me, do you also get demotivated? I said, yes, I do get demotivated too. And what do you do? I read my book. Every day, right now, two hours per day, one hour in the morning and one hour at night, I am listening to one audio video, something every day, currently. Otherwise, we all slip back. Keep in mind, your willpower, your positive mental attitude is like your muscles. If you stop exercising physically, your muscles flab. You stop exercising, your stamina goes down. If you don't feed your mind every day with positive things, you slip back. I will only share with you one example. In one of the world's greatest wildness was a man by the name of Fritz Kreisler. A lady from the audience, he finished the concert. A lady from the audience came up and said, Mr. Chrysler, I would give my life to play violin the way you do. And Chrysler said, ma'am, I did and you won't. And he said, ma'am, if I don't practice for one month, my audience can tell the difference in my performance. If I don't practice for one week, my family can tell the difference in my performance. If I don't practice for one day, I can tell the difference in my own performance. And I'll tell you one thing, if I don't read a good book every day, my positivity gets impacted too. So whoever asked that question, sir, there is no substitute. Go back, look at all the stuff. The example I shared with you, people, they, these people have achieved success. Read one book a week, man. Go ahead. Well, fair enough, sir. Thank you very much. That's a good way to start with for uh, Sanjeev. You'll start reading now. Uh, sir, a lot of people have asked this second question, which I'm asking you is a similar question. Uh, the one I'm taking is from Mahendar Vakaria. He's from Gujarat, from Ahmedabad. He says, I have a strong belief in your quote, count your blessings and not your bank balance. How relevant is it in such a crisis when your bank balances are dwindling? And everybody, a lot of people have asked this question because the banks are troubling them because they haven't got their incomes coming in and all that. So uh, what's your thought on this? Sir? I look many times words can do not do the job when money is the only thing, when the money is the only thing can do the job, then money is the only answer. There is no other answer. See, as somebody said, 
देर आर नो प्रिंसिपल ऑन एमटी स्टमक खाली पेट साहब किसी को क्या प्रिंसिपल सिखाओगे आप देर आर नो प्रिंसिपल एमटी स्टमक दैट इज ट्रू आई एग्री विद यू सो आई हैव गॉन थ्रू दैट माई सेल्फ इन माई लाइफ आई गॉन थ्रू दो I I don't have an answer to that. When money is the only answer to a something, if the bank is chasing you, and well, the only other answer is that the we must unite, get together, and we and all over the world, governments are supporting businesses right now. Keep one thing in mind: responsible governments all over the world, all over the world, they are making sure that the business do not close, because if the business closes, the job loss will be permanent. I repeat, now, right now, it is temporary. But if the business closes permanently, the job loss will become permanent. And I like what Subhash had written in his book. Uh, correct me if I am wrong, sir. You see, he had said for every uh, one job for X rupees, ten uh, million rupees, you create one job in the in the IT. For the same buck, you create a hundred jobs in the in travel for the same bucks. I mean, you know, it's a no-brainer. It is a no-brainer. Now, all I can say is, I hope this message goes to our travel tourism industry minister, or even our prime minister, or our finance minister. They need to understand. They need to understand. And sadly, they are not understanding that. I repeat, English language. They are not understanding it, and they are ruining and hurting our own country. They are. They are not doing anything serious. they must come back and stand up and as an association the only thing we can do is just just get together and fight now it is survival so i'm with you let's if if we have to get a fight and do it together i'm ready to do it let's go so you don't have to be a gandhian anymore but anyway point point well taken sir uh, uh the last two questions i like to do is uh one is these are similar questions one is from ashok samaji he says how do you identify troublemakers and talkers in any organization and alpana from delhi is asking the same thing how can we make these talkers and troublemakers into superstars it troublemakers talkers you don't want to make them superstars because they you're wasting your time okay what you can do is you convert the doers into superstars You see, you convert your doers into superstars, and that is important. Is get those people to convert, and that you do only, only through proper training. You only do through proper training. And keep one thing in mind: people development is a process. It is not an event. Many people come and say to me, Mr. Kera, come talk to my company, talk to my people, and and they say, "We have programmed the Karwadiya, Mr. Kera, come to me." But the benefit is not anything. And brother, you are talking for two hours, two hours. Tape record, start. Tape record, start. Tape record, start. You are talking to me. You see, keep one thing in mind: people development is a process. It is not an event. Hear this carefully: people development is a process. It is not an event. you want to change culture in your company keep in mind culture goes from the top to bottom and culture always supersedes strategy i repeat culture always supersedes strategy and how do you develop a process 
आप छोटी सी बात देखिए कि वेन वी वेन वी मेड अस्टेक वेन वी वी मेड अस्टेक एंड आवर पेरेंट्स करेक्टेड अस did we get corrected when they corrected us only once no we made the mistake again they corrected us second time third time fourth time. they kept correcting us till we got it right now i share with you how do you change your culture in our singapore office 20 years ago when i opened the office i gave a taxi driver a business card to get me to a particular address at the last point he circled around the building sir are you with me and he circled around the building and meter read 11 dollars i pulled out 11 he took 10 i asked him mera sahab i asked him sir your meter reads 11 how come you taking 10 he said sir i'm a taxi driver i'm supposed to be bringing you straight to your destination since i didn't know the last spot i had to circle around the building Had I brought you straight here, the meter would have read ten. He said, "Sir, hear this." He said, "Sir, legally I can claim eleven, but ethically I am entitled to ten. How do you like that? Legally I can claim eleven, but ethically I am entitled to only ten. This eighth grader, eighth grader taxi driver." Understands the difference between legality and ethics. Many lawyers and judges need to learn from him. I repeat, many lawyers and judges need to learn from him. What is the difference? Now, Fine. wait a minute. Hear me out, please. You see, and he here's what he said. He said, "Mr. Kira, you see, tourism is big in Singapore. People come into our country for only three, four days, and if the first experience of the taxi driver is not pleasant, the balance three three days is not very pleasant either." And he said, "Sir." I am not a taxi driver. I'm an ambassador of Singapore without a dipl diplomatic passport. How do you like that? A taxi driver saying, "I am an ambassador of Singapore without a diplomatic passport." And that taxi driver I met 20 years ago, that same day, I made him my manager for my in my Singapore office. I took him as my manager. This eighth grade taxi driver is more valuable than any MBA to me. He understands the difference between ethics and legality. And I asked him, I said, Henry, how come all you people are good, clean, honest, courteous? He said, Sir, in Singapore, before we get a license to operate a taxi. it is mandatory that we all have to go through a two months customer service training program two months customer service training program and he says memory is short we have to go through a refresher one week a year every year we have to go through refresher and next if we do not try to drive a taxi for four months we have to go through two months back again no wonder they are performing you have to change the culture of the entire organization change the culture of the country that's the only way to work and you want to change your company's culture make training a way of life prepare them don't prepare them and that's the key thank you sir and my very last question sir a lot of people have asked this question like manu kaisha brona everybody uh, they said that we love the idea about reading books which you have suggested uh, so they want to know manu wants to know what are some of your favorite books And the others want to know: Can you please suggest a few good books for beginners? 
We want to get into this. What you do? If you want to take this one, I'll give you five good books right now on the spot. Here, one pick up a book called "Think and Grow Rich." Excellent book. Two, there's an excellent book by Psycho Cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Maltz. Dr. Maxwell Maltz. The first one was Napoleon Hill, and the third excellent book on communication is. I'm okay. You're okay. By Thomas Harris, excellent book, phenomenal book, and of course, I would highly recommend "You Can Win," which has now hit almost 10 million copies. "You Can Win," and "You Can Achieve More," and third, "You Can Sell." "You Can Win," "You Can Achieve More," and "You Can Sell." "You Can Sell" is it says in life, results are rewarded, efforts are not. I repeat, it says results are rewarded, efforts are not. Which you know what it means? It means In life, we judge ourselves by our intentions, but the world judges us by our actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions, but the world judges by our actions. You see, when we do our three-day program, four-day program leadership, everybody walks away with a 31-day action plan to change life. How do we change it? Because if you can't implement it, it's a waste of time. 31 day action plan what is the magic of 31 days research has shown that any behavior we practice consistently consciously for 31 days 30 second day becomes a habit let me ask you is 31 day too much of a price to pay a change a lifetime for the better answer is no but very few people want to do it very few people want to do it so look All I can say is one thing: we all want to succeed. Everybody wants to succeed, but very few people are willing to pay the price to prepare to succeed. I share this for one reason only. Tell me, who was a legend in martial art? Who was a legend in martial art? Give me a name. Uh, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Now you know he was a legend in martial art. You got the name right. But let me ask you, sir. Did you know that Bruce Lee's one leg was shorter than the other by one inch? Did you know that? Okay. Two. His eyesight was minus ten. And one mm, two mm can disalign a person. And he could not see his opponent without lenses. And Bruce Lee practiced five thousand punches per day. Five thousand punches per day. And he said, "I quote in my book, you can achieve more." He said. I'm not afraid of a person who knows one way how I, who knows ten thousand ways how to kick. He said, "I know a person. I'm afraid of a person who knows only one way, but practice ten thousand times." Now let me ask you, sir, was Bruce Lee an exception? Yes, no. Was Bruce Lee an exception? No. Yes, no. No. The answer is totally correct. He was not an exception. Because check out all over the world, all success stories are stories of great failure. Now you heard the name Michael Phelps. I just want to take another one more minute. Michael Phelps, you heard the name. Now he became legend in two or eight period in history. But how many people do you know who know that two years prior to the Olympics he fractured his hand? And doctor said, "Buddy, you cannot get in the water anymore. You cannot. And even if your hand does get repaired." 
Will it have the same strength? You are competing at the Olympics, not your neighborhood kids. Now, Michael Phelps could not accept his dream shattered. He told the doctor, I will get in the water. And he did. And he kept practicing with his legs. Two years later, at Beijing, we created history. One eight gold medal. And one of the event was a 100 meters butterfly stroke. And guess what was the distance between him and the person who came second? One hundredth of a second. And it is attributed that when he had fractured his leg, his hand, and he was practicing with his legs, his legs became so strong that the last point, that's what gave him the push. Now, this is my version. The press was there. The press was there. And they said, Mr. Phelps, you want eight gold medals, must be a lucky day. When he heard the word must be a lucky day, Michael Phelps didn't like it. He said, you come here, I'll tell you how lucky I got. He said, in the last four years, I have practiced 10,000 hours. And if you're good at maths, that translates into 2,500 hours per year. If you're good at calculus, that translates into eight hours per day, no Sunday. And he said, you go sit in the water for eight hours every day for the next four years, your body will shrivel. And he asked, did I get lucky? Did I get lucky? He said, luck is not designed to deliver you these things in life. And he said, too many crackpots keep waiting for a jackpot. He said, remember one thing, athletes train 15 years for 15 seconds of performance. Go ask them, did they get lucky? Now, was Michael Phelps a exception? <laughs> Answer is no. <laughs> Steve Jobs. If you hear his speech at Stanford, the guy says, I came to this world unwanted. The day he was born, he was put up for adoption. Nobody wanted me. Now, you and I have not got one leg shorter than the other. You and I have not fractured any. You and I were not put up for adoption. Look, buddy, many people who have done a lot of things in life, they probably faced much worse situations than we had if they did it. That's all. Thank you, sir. Uh, friends, I need to now move on to Mr. Mehra. Uh, you all know him very well. But I like to mention a few things about Mehra. If some of you do not know about that. Uh, he's, he's from St. Columbus. Uh, and then he moved on to do his economic honors from the Delhi University, Hanswas College. And he says, he tells me he's got 39 years of experience. Mr. Mehra, you don't look that old to me. Either you must have started when you were 10 years old. So that's what I would really look at it. Uh, he started his Ode tours and travels in the year 1990. Uh, he's worked very, very closely. Those in IHO will know he's worked very closely with IHO. In fact, for the last 25 years, uh, I haven't seen a convention of IHO where he hasn't played, played a very important and a prominent role. And in fact, I know a couple of chief guests have also acknowledged that at times to him what he has done. Uh, he's now the vice president of IHO. And it's my uh, privilege to request him to please say a vote of thanks to our great honorable Mr. Shifkira. So, uh, Mr. Mehra, you're muted. Uh, first of all, I hope the words uh, which Mr. Kira has said will be heard by our tourism minister, our finance minister, and the prime minister of India. Anyway, um, I have been given this opportunity to raise the vote of thanks on this occasion. First of all, I would like to express my sincere thanks and gratitude to Mr. Shiv Kira for his motivational address to the members of ITO, Talk readers, and industry stakeholders at large. I'm sure this uh, will motivate the tourism industry stakeholders to face this situation created due to the COVID-19 when 
we are all suffering without any presence. We had the opportunity of the presence of Mr. Khera in one of the IPO conventions where he addressed our members with his inspiring and motivating address. I would also like to thank Mr. Subhash Goel for bringing Mr. Shikhera onto the IPO laptop platform. Thanks a lot to Mr. Sanjeev, Nikhil, Devika for the support to ITO for providing a big platform in organizing this webinar on a very large scale. I think there were more than 2,000 people attending. Thanks to all my friends, colleagues, and my executive committee members, members of ITO and non-members for joining this webinar. We shall be organizing more webinars and training programs in the coming days and would keep it open for the non-members so that maximum stakeholders can take the benefit. This would again be jointly organized with ITO and TRACPAR. With best wishes and stay healthy and stay safe. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mehra. Thank you very much. In fact, I just want to say one thing, uh, Mr. Mehra, you just said. So the next webinar or training with uh, with I2 and TravTalk webinar is on the 16th of October. That's Friday, 16th October from 1130 onwards. Uh, the topic would be your virtual tour shop, ensuring success post-COVID. So those who are already there, please, if you can note that down. Uh, my final words, I want to say thank you to the great panelists we have had. Uh, I would I would start with, uh, of course, uh, Shivji. Uh, put it this way: You're excellent. You're wonderful. In fact, I have a, one full page written out of your comments, which I can keep going on and on. Thank you so very much. It was really a pleasure and an honor to have you over here. Uh, of course, Mr. Subhash Goel. I would really like that. But you have been a friend of a friend, and in fact. The good words he talks about you is, is unbelievable. That's really wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today and over here. And of course, uh, Marasab, uh, Aito, and your commitments and what they're doing for the membership. I think this is the first time, if, if I could be wrong, where an association has gone ahead and told the people of this industry, especially the travel industry, that, look, guys, uh, there's still more to happen. And like Mr. Shekhera said, uh, every crisis has a silver lining, and we are waiting for that. And that is what we really need to do. Last but not the least, I'd be failing if I don't say thank you to Zia Sidki, who has really been pushing this whole thing a lot. And it is his his efforts. We are seeing all the training which is taking place. And I've been working with him. And I, his sincerity and his hard work is unbelievable. Last but not the least, 3,747 people registered and came online. I want to thank all of them for being with us today and hearing Mr. Shivkera. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and honor to have you. And this recording will be available tomorrow, friends, from Facebook. I will send you the details. You can download it tomorrow evening onwards, any of you who want it. So please, thank you. Thank all of you. Thanks a lot. Thank you very, very much. You're all muted. You need to unmute yourself if you want to say anything. Otherwise, uh, thank you very, very much. It was a pleasure and an honor to have you today. Thank you very special, much. Special thanks to Pranav Sarkar and the entire EC for having immediately agreed for this program. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, Dada, a big thank you to you. Yes, you are, your final word was required. Uh, we thought you'll be here, but we did miss you. Uh, I'll, I'll put that all to it. And thank you very much.
Thank you all. Thanks a lot. Thank you very, very much. And goodbye. Till next week, stay healthy and stay well.